As we continue to be set up here, you can be turning in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Uh, the, the verses that Ray just read for us a moment ago. Galatians chapter 3. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises that we were just singing a moment ago. Just in those two songs that we sang together. Uh, the first song, Have Mercy on Us. Father, we are sinners. And the only way forward, the only way to receive salvation, to be made right with you is through what Christ has done on our behalf. And that's what we were singing in that song. And then in the second song, By Faith, we receive all of these things by faith, which is what we are going to be looking at this morning in these verses. What Paul is driving home to the Galatian Christians. We receive your promises, justification by faith and not by works. Father, I ask that you'd be with us now as we walk through these verses. I pray that you'd be with me, the preacher, as I stand to proclaim these things to your people. May I preach in a way that is clear and it's understandable. I pray for those who are listening. May you give them eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that receives it with great joy. Father, we also pray that your word would accomplish its purposes this morning. That it would strengthen the weak, that it would humble the proud, that it would bring back the wanderer, and that it would save the lost. In all of these things, O Lord, may Jesus Christ be seen and may he receive the glory. For it is his and not ours. In His name we pray, Amen. Let's read these verses together. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, I'm going to begin, excuse me, I'm going to begin in verse 17. Beginning in verse 17. Paul writes, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Now the verses we're going to be handling this morning. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. 
Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, as Ray mentioned a moment ago, whenever he was reading through these verses, as we pick up here in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul is addressing the Galatians in a very stern way. He's being very firm with them. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians. He's addressing them in similar ways that we've seen in previous parts of the letter, like in chapter 1, verse 6, where he he addresses the Galatians and he says, the Galatians and he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. So here again, he is addressing the Galatians in a very stern and a very firm way. Now again, we may be tempted to think, is Paul being overly harsh? I mean, is this really necessary? to call them foolish in such a strong way. And he's also going to call them foolish a second time. First we see it here in verse 1. And then again he's going to call them foolish in verse 3, saying, are you so foolish? Is Paul just being overly harsh here by calling the Galatians foolish like this? Paul, is this necessary? I mean, do you really have to address them in this way? I mean, couldn't you just be a little bit nicer to them? I mean, why does he address them in this way? Is he just being overly harsh? Well, no, Paul is not. And the reason why he's not being overly harsh, the reason why he's not just being mean, is because think back to what we were looking at last week in verses 15 to 21. What was Paul laying out there in verses 15 to 21? Well, in verses 15 to 16, we saw last week that Paul unfolded in those two verses the truth of the gospel that he had been referring to throughout this letter. The truth of the gospel. He unfolded it there in verses 15 and 16. And in those verses, he unfolded that the truth of the gospel is this, that you are made right or justified before God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. That wonderful, glorious gospel truth that it's not by your works that you are made right before God. It's by His grace. And you take hold of it through faith on the basis of Christ and what He has done and it all results in the glory of God. And then in verses 17 and 21, 2.21, Paul showed that by proclaiming this gospel truth, by preaching it, he does, in fact, not nullify the grace of God. He does not make it void. He does not abolish the grace of God. No, Paul makes much of the grace of God because he does not point to your works. He does not point to the Galatians' works. He does not point to what they or what you can do to be made right with God. Instead, he points to what God has done on your behalf. Therefore, Paul makes much of God's grace. He does not nullify it. So that's what he was laying out in those verses. That's what we saw last week. And that's what the Galatians 
are in danger of forsaking or turning away from. They are in danger of forsaking the glorious truth of the gospel that you are justified before God because of what He has done for you on your behalf. They are in danger of turning from that and trying to be justified by their own works, by what they can do. Thinking that somehow their works are impressive before God, that He will accept, accept them because what they have done. And that's the reason why Paul addresses them in verse 1 of chapter 3, and he calls them foolish. Oh, foolish Galatians! Do you see what you're doing? Do you see what you're turning away from? Do you see what you're forsaking? You are foolish. And then he continues, and he asks them, he said, who has bewitched you? Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Paul uses the language of pagan magic here in his question as, as he addresses the Galatians and he asks them, you know, who, who has bewitched you? Who has put a spell on you? How have you become so spell-stricken or blinded to turn away from this glorious gospel? Now, by asking this question, by, by using the word bewitched, Paul doesn't really think that the Galatians are literally being bewitched by the false teachers that were present there that had infiltrated the church and were seeking to distort the gospel. He doesn't literally think that they've come in and they are casting spells on the Galatians, making them turn away from the gospel that he had preached to them before. He knows that's not happening. But I imagine that the scene there in the Galatian churches in the first century, I imagine the scene wasn't far from what you would call bewitchment, as Paul says here. Because who is ultimately behind every plot or every seeking to distort the truth of the gospel? Satan is. Exactly. Behind every plot to distort the truth of the gospel, to distort truth in general, Satan is there either him or his demons, his minions. You can bet that when the gospel is being distorted, when the truth is being distorted, when lies are being preached, Satan is there. Him and his minions are present, and they are seeking to cast their spells. They are seeking to blind those who would believe. They are trying to keep whoever they can from seeing the truth of the gospel and what it means for them. And it still goes on today. It still happens today. And this is why it's so critical for us to, to be on guard, to learn the lesson of the Galatians that we're about to see in these verses. It is very critical that we heed the warnings that we're about to see Paul give the Galatians here. Because whoever you listen to, Lord willing, they're not in this church for whatever reason. Whoever you listen to, whether somehow they infiltrate this church like they infiltrated the Galatian churches, or if it's a, a preacher that you really like listening through podcast, 
or other churches that you have visited or that you watch on television, whatever it may be, it is critical that you watch out for those who would seek to distort the truth. Because Satan is behind it. And he is there casting his spell, seeking to bewitch you, seeking to blind you from the genuine truth of the gospel. We must be careful. And Paul continues in verse 1. So he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Another reason that Paul is so agitated or so frustrated with the Galatians, calling them foolish, another reason why he's so frustrated with the situation that's going on there, is because they had seen the Lord Jesus Christ publicly portrayed as crucified through His preaching when Paul was there. Possibly whenever he planted those churches on his missionary journeys there. When Paul had come and preached the gospel to the Galatians, the Galatians had seen the Lord Jesus Christ publicly portrayed, not literally portrayed, Jesus Christ wasn't literally crucified before their very eyes, but they saw it through Paul's preaching. Paul's preaching put the Lord Jesus Christ on display as crucified and all the truths that come with that. And I want you to look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where we see something similar. Paul talking about his preaching and how whenever he preaches, he preaches Christ and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in verse 22, Paul says to the Corinthians there, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But what does Paul preach? He says, but we preach Christ crucified. So Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ and we preach Him crucified. And that's what Paul is referring to here in chapter 3, verse 1 of Galatians. When Paul came and when he preached the gospel to them, the gospel message that he preached was essentially Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and all of the truths that go along with that. They saw Him publicly portrayed as crucified through Paul's message. Now, we come to to verse 2. And Paul says, Now, let me ask you only this. Let me ask you only this, Galatians. So yes, Paul is... He's frustrated with the Galatians. He's, he's agitated with what's going on there by calling them foolish, by asking them who has bewitched you. He's frustrated because he has preached the gospel to them and now they are turning away from the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus and what that means for them. But he's also concerned for the Galatians. He seeks their good and that's what we're about to see here in verse 2. Because by asking them this question that he says, let me ask you only this, Paul seeks to take the Galatians back to that moment when he was there and when he preached the gospel to them. Paul in this verse and all the way down into verse 6, specifically in the first part of verse 6, Paul is seeking to take them back to that experience 
when he had preached the gospel to them and when they had first believed, supposedly, if they had believed, it seems that they had believed, according to Paul. It seems that whenever Paul preached the gospel, they received it. So if they had indeed believed and accepted Christ in that moment when he preached Christ and Him crucified, Paul now wants to take them back to that moment and remind them of their experience. And so he's going to ask five questions. Five questions that take them back to that moment and that essentially are meant to remind them how they began in the Christian life their beginning experience when they heard the gospel. So he says, let me ask you only this. And his first question, he says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Whenever a person becomes a Christian, whenever they hear the gospel message and they receive it with faith, they receive the Spirit of God. When they become a Christian, God grants them the gift of His Holy Spirit. They receive the Spirit and the Holy Spirit seals them. He is a sign that they are in fact a Christian. And that's what Paul is referring to here when he says, did you receive the Spirit or did you become a Christian and receive the Spirit by works of the law? by what you did, by what you could accomplish, by your works? Did you receive the Spirit? Did you become a Christian? Become sealed by the Spirit by what you did? By what you performed? Or was it by hearing with faith? And the answer is, it wasn't by works of the law. The Galatians, if they indeed, indeed believed, Paul's message and became Christians in that moment. It wasn't because of what they did. It wasn't because of works that they accomplished. It was because they heard Paul's message, what he was preaching to them. They heard it with their ears and then they received it with faith or with trust. They trusted that Paul's message was true and they embraced it with their faith. They receive the Spirit by faith, not by works. It was by faith and not by works that the Galatians, if they indeed became Christians, became Christians. That was their initial experience. And I think I had... Hang on, I'm getting lost in my notes here. I think I had a verse that... Okay, now that's the next question. The second question, or no, I did in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1. Turn with me there to Ephesians chapter 1 because Paul says something similar there. It's talking about <laughs> receiving the Spirit and becoming a Christian. Ephesians chapter 1. Looking specifically in, in verse 13. So Paul tells the Ephesians something similar to what he's talking about here in in Paul's letter to the Galatians. He says to the Ephesians, In Him, speaking of Jesus, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, so when you heard, 
Again, similar to what he's saying to the Galatians, when you heard, not what you did, not by your works, but when you heard the word of truth, that is the gospel, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. So that's what Paul is talking about here in his first question. That's what Paul is trying to remind the Galatians about. Their initial experience when they heard Paul's preaching. They heard his message and they received it by faith. So it's foolish for them to think that now they can continue in works. That they can forsake the grace of God and what He has done on their behalf and now turn to what they can accomplish by their works. It's foolish for them to do that. And he continues in verse 3 with his, his third question. I'm going to handle his third and fourth question together because the third question really just leads us into his fourth question. He says, Are you so foolish... Now the word so there, it doesn't mean like, how could you be so foolish? How could you be amplifying how foolish the Galatians are? That's not what Paul means whenever he says, are you so foolish? Instead, by saying so foolish, he means, are you foolish in this way? Are you foolish in this way? what he has just said and what he's about to say. Are you so foolish? Are you foolish in this way, Galatians? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Going back to what he just said in his his first question, bringing before the Galatians, if you have begun by the Spirit of God, if you have become a Christian, because of what He has done for you, and you have received the Spirit by His power and by His grace, not by your own works, if you have began the Christian life in that way, how can you now think, Galatians, that you will be perfected or literally be completed, finished, by the flesh or by your own works? If you've begun the Christian life by God's power and what He has done on your behalf in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, how do you now think that you will finish by your own works? Think of it this way. Paul and other authors of the New Testament often refer to the Christian life as a race. We we as Christians run the race of the Christian life. So in thinking about it as a race... Paul is saying that the way you get to the starting line is by God and what He has done for you. Right? So the way that you begin the Christian life or walk up to the starting line is because of what God has done for you. You can't get yourself to the starting line. So if you can't get yourself to the starting line to begin the race... How do you think you're going to run the rest of the race and finish the race by your own works? That's what Paul's saying here in this verse. That's what he's referring to. How do you think 
that you can finish what you did not even begin, Galatians. How can you be so foolish? Going back again to their, their foolishness, what they are guilty of. How do you think that you can finish what God has begun in you? And again, I have a couple of other examples that I want you to look at with me. Coming from first Philippians chapter one in verse beginning in verse six. Paul again saying something similar to the, the Philippian Christians there in Philippi. In verse six, Paul says, And I am sure of this that he, speaking of God, that he who began a good work in you, so God is the one there beginning the good work in the Philippian Christians and also here in Galatians, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So God is the one who began the good work and He is also the one who will bring it to completion. Again, in Philippians... In chapter 2, beginning in verse, uh, second part of verse 12, Paul tells the, 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 the Philippians, he tells them, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So here you have works. He's telling them to work. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So they are doing something. But what's the driving force behind what they're doing? What's the driving force behind their works? by their running the race, you could say, going back to the illustration we were using. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For, verse 13, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So work, or run the Christian life. Work out the Christian life with fear and trembling. But remember, that it is God who is the one who is working in you and through you. He is the driving force behind all of it. At the very beginning, at the starting line, He is the one who puts you there. You begin the Christian life by the power of God and what He has done on your behalf. He's there in the middle in the sanctifying process. As you run the race, as you become more like Christ, you run, you work, but because of God working in you and through you, you work and run the race. And then as Paul says here in verse 3, speaking of, as the ESV translation says, perfected or finish, he's at the end. When you are glorified. When it all comes to completion, when you finish the race, you finish because of God and His power working in you and through you. So you begin because of God, you run the race because of God, and you finish because of God, not because of what you do. Isn't that so encouraging? Christian. That should be so encouraging that you, as a Christian, are not dependent to finish the race or run the race or even begin the race by what you can do, by anything that's impressive about you or what you can bring before God. It's all about God. It's all about His glory and what He has done 
on your behalf. And again, the Galatians are foolish to think that they can start the race by God's power and what He's done for them and then finish it by their own works. It's foolishness. Then we see Paul's fourth question that he brings before them in verse 4. He says, Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? If the Galatians think that they can finish the Christian life through works, then Paul is afraid that they may have, as he says, suffered so many things in vain. Now this verse is kind of tricky because of that word, suffered. The word literally means experience. It refers to experience. But if you're reading in the ESV, the ESV translate the word as suffered because every other time when it's used in the New Testament, it has a negative sense to it. Specifically referring to like suffering or when bad things are happening, whenever like persecution, things like that, the word has that negative sense to it. But I, I don't think that it's a helpful way to translate the word here as suffered. I mean, it's very possible that Paul could be referring to their suffering because the Galatians, when they became Christians and they forsook initially anything that they could accomplish by their own works, they would have been persecuted. Because people in their day, more so now than in America, I mean, we have it easy in America, but they didn't have it easy in their day. So forsaking what they could do and receiving the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, of a crucified King and Savior, they would have been persecuted for it. They would have suffered for His name. And if now, if they're guilty of turning away from it, Paul is saying... Why did you suffer all of those things? Did you suffer in vain? Because you're turning away from the very reason why you suffered in the first place. Free grace. If you think you can work for salvation, then you're forsaking the very reason why you suffered, why people persecuted you in the first place. Because people like the idea that they can work for salvation, right? They like that idea. It's the gospel message that you can't work for it. That's what people hate. That's what you'll suffer for. That's what you'll be persecuted for when you preach. So Paul could mean that, but again, I just don't think that's what he's referring to here in this verse. Instead, I think he's, he's talking about experience. He's taking them back once again to their initial experience in the Christian life. Reminding them what happened when they first believed, if they indeed genuinely believed. And that's what he's referring to in the rest of the questions that he asked here. Like the first question, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or or by hearing with faith? That experience. And then in verse 3, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That experience, what God did initially. And then what we're going to see again in verse 5 when he asked his final question. Paul referring to that experience. So that's why I think Paul is referring to experience here in verse 4. Did you experience so many things in vain? Did you experience the Spirit of God in vain? Did you receive Him in vain? Did you believe in vain? Because if you are indeed turning away from 
the gospel that I preached, then you did receive them in vain. Because you are proving that you genuinely did not receive them. It just seemed like it did. It just seemed like you received them when in fact you didn't. So he says, did you experience so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. And then he asks his final question in verse 5. And this is very similar to the first question that he asked, that he put before them. He says, does he, speaking of God, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So when the Galatians first believed, it seemed anyways that miracles were were worked among them, that God was working among them, that He was saving people, that He was bringing people out of darkness into marvelous light through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It seems like all of these things were happening. And so if it's true, if they did indeed believe, if these things were happening, Paul asked, how did they happen? Does He who supplies the Spirit, who gives you the Spirit of God, who works miracles among you, does He do those things by your works, on the basis of your works, or on the basis of you hearing the gospel message and then receiving it by faith? And the answer is, once again, it's not by your works, Galatians. God has not done these things, and God continues today when He does these things. He does not do them. He does not operate on the basis of your works. It's by faith, hearing the gospel message and receiving it by faith. That is how God supplies the Spirit of God. When someone hears the gospel message and they receive it, by faith, then He showers upon them His blessings, pouring out His Spirit, making them His own, supplying them the Spirit and working miracles among you. He does it by hearing with faith. Now, as we come to the the second part of His question, beginning in verse 6, Paul adds an example to it. He adds an example to this question. And this part of his argument, his his questions that he's been asking or putting before the Galatians is significant. Because what Paul is about to do in verse 6 is he is about to turn from the questions that were meant to take the Galatians back to their experience. He's turning from that and now he's about to turn to the testimony of Scripture. So what he just did was he made them look back to to their experience, what happened at the beginning of their Christian life, how it testified to them that it was by faith that they began, not by works. Now he's about to show them that Scripture says this as well. And he begins with the example of Abraham. He says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him, as righteousness. And there he quotes directly 
from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. So I want you to turn with me there to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. I want you to see this verse that Paul is quoting that he's grabbing from the Old Testament and now he's putting forth before the Galatians. Because it was very likely that the false teachers were twisting the Scriptures, the Bible that the Galatians had at the time. You know, they didn't have the Bible like we have it today. They didn't have the New Testament. All they had was the Old Testament. It's very likely that one of the ways that the false teachers were trying to distort the truth is they were taking some of the Old Testament passages and saying to the Galatians, do you see what's happening here? Do you see what, what Abraham did? And they were twisting it for their own purposes. And so Paul now grabs that and he tries to lead them in the truth, what God is really trying to show them. So in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, we read, And he believed the Lord, speaking of Abraham. God had made all of these promises to Abraham that he was going to multiply Abraham's offspring that He was going to give him a son and He was going to have a multitude. He made these promises. And in verse 6 it says, And He believed the Lord and He counted it to Him as righteousness. God made His promises to Abraham. And what did Abraham do? Did he work? Did he do any kind of work? that made God count these things to him as righteousness? No, that's not what Moses says here in Genesis, who is the author of the book of Genesis. So what Moses says. God made His promises. God told Abraham what He was going to do. And Abraham believed. He believed God. And then it says that God took his belief, his faith, and, it counted, and He counted it to him as righteousness. So Paul is taking that verse from Genesis and he's arguing now to the Galatians and saying, do you see what God was doing there? It was never about works. It was never about what you could do, which is what the false teachers were saying. They were undoubtedly pointing to the circumcision, the sign of the covenant that God would later give Abraham. I mean, God did do that. He did say that to Abraham that all of your offspring should be circumcised. This is a sign of the covenant. But what, what came before that? Abraham's faith. Abraham wasn't justified because he was circumcised. No, he was justified because of his faith. And this is what Paul is putting before the Galatians. And so he says, continuing in verse 7, because of that, he says, Know then, Galatians that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Again, this is probably an argument that the false teachers were putting before the Galatians, saying, hey, if you want to be a true son of Abraham, you need to be circumcised, like Abraham and all of his offspring were circumcised. They were probably saying that to them. But Paul is now in the New Testament showing that yes, that's true, but those things are done away with, but faith is not done away with. And in fact, it's always been about faith. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, the Bible, the Old Testament, 
foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, which would be the Galatians and also you, those who are sitting before me, as far as I know, unless you have a hidden Jewish heritage that you don't know about or I don't know about, but you are considered Galatians. I mean, not Galatians, Gentiles. So this is you being referred to here. And the Bible, the Scripture, the Old Testament, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, and then he quotes again from Genesis. Specifically now, he quotes from Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, saying, In you shall all... In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. If you're still in Genesis, turn to chapter 12, verse 3. Again, I want us to read this together. I want you to see it here in the Old Testament. Again, this is the Lord coming to Abraham, making these promises to him on the basis of faith, not of works. He says in verse 3, speaking to Abraham, I'm going to begin in verse 1. I'm going to go ahead and start in verse 1 and go down to verse 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was one of the promises that Abraham in chapter 15, the passage that we just looked at, This is one of the promises that Abraham believed and God counted it to him as righteousness. So the next time that you read through these verses and you see these things, you are watching the Old Testament preach the gospel beforehand to you. Or in other words, you are watching the Old Testament foreshadow what God would do in Christ through faith, not through works. And that's what Paul is is showing here to the Galatians in these verses. He's taking them back to the Old Testament and he's showing them whatever these false teachers have told you, however they have twisted the Scriptures, don't believe them. The Old Testament has always foreshadowed what Christ would do and how you would receive it through faith. All the nations. God has always sought to justify all peoples through faith in what He would do. Now, this is a big deal, right? Paul interpreting these verses this way. This is a big deal. So why should we believe Paul? You know, Paul, why should we believe you? How do we not know that somehow you may have got something wrong? Maybe the Apostle Paul is misinterpreting these verses. Why should we believe Paul? Well, think about everything that we have just seen in chapters 1 and 2, right? 
what has Paul been unfolding in chapters 1 and 2? He's been telling us in chapters 1 and 2, I did not receive my apostolic authority from a man. I received it directly from God in Jesus Christ. I did not receive my gospel message from a man. I received it directly from God in Jesus Christ. And I do not seek the approval of man. And He gave us all those different pieces of evidence throughout chapters 1 and chapter 2 so that we could be sure that what Paul is preaching is the truth. And he continues to do that as he now argues from Scripture, showing you, hey, believe me, believe my interpretation of the Old Testament because ultimately it's not from me. It comes directly from God in Christ Jesus and that's how I received it. And now I preach it to you. I proclaim it to you. So that's why you can believe it. That's why you can believe this interpretation of the Old Testament as the very words of God Himself. Because His apostolic authority is from God, His gospel message is from God, and He does not seek the approval of man. And He's going to continue to do this. He's going to continue to unfold the Old Testament, the Bible, as they had it in their time period, throughout chapter 3 and on into chapter 4. He's going to continue to bring up these Old Testament examples that continually prove that God was always showing His people it's not by works, but it's through faith. This is why it's very important that we know our Bibles, Christian. It's very important for us to know the Bible. Because if you don't know your Bible, and similar to the Galatians situation, and false teachers come, and they seek to, to twist the Scriptures or to interpret them in a different way to, to show their purposes or to, to preach their purposes, to twist the truth, how are you going to know if it's wrong or not? if you don't know your Bible. If you don't know your Bible, then you'll be swept away. you say, oh yeah, that sounds pretty good. I like that. You'll be swept away. Like the Galatians were in danger of being swept away here in Paul's letter. So let us heed the warnings that Paul gives the Galatians. Let us be reminded that we begin the Christian life by the power of God in the gospel, by faith, receiving it, what He's done on our behalf. We begin the Christian life in that way. We run the race of the Christian life in that way. And we finish the race. We are glorified in that same way. What God has done for you, not through our works. Let us be encouraged by that. Let us know this truth so that we can be encouraged by it and also so that we can defend it. Let's pray. Father, we again thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your, your wonderful, massive truths. We thank You for the Apostle Paul, and we thank You that here in his letter to the Galatians, we see him 
showing that the Old Testament, which is so easily misinterpreted, so easily misread, has always preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus, that we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Father, if there is someone here who doesn't know this gospel message, who has not received it, who doesn't know Christ, I pray that you would convict them of their sin. I pray that you would show them their need of Christ and that there's no other way to be justified before you. There's no other way to be made right with God. It's only through what Christ has done. And for the Christians that are sitting here, may they be encouraged by the words, the truths that we just read, that it is you working in us and through us, not by our works. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.